The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Wednesday, July 17th, 2019, and you are tuned in to HTM Sports right here at HittingTheMarks.com, the Hitting the Marks Podcast Network. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to HTM Sports. It's me, it's me. It's that art of the beat and me. Rick Vickery back again. Hashtag HTM Sports. Oh, Jocko, we are coming in hot, you know, just before going on the air, we're talking politics. I, I know we're both kind of, uh, I guess our hands are up here. I, we're confused about all these, like, meme crazes, this aging BS that we're seeing on social media. Thankfully, we get to take a step back here and, and talk, uh, talk a little sports. Yeah, thank God for sports and, and, and just a little escape hatch from the crazy that is the everyday world. Uh, Huckleberry, before we jump into the run here, I actually had a listener sports question that was sent in to me by a gentleman by the name of Sir Dan Darrow. And uh, he hit me up and he says um, he wanted to know who would win in their prime, Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali? And I thought that this would actually be an interesting conversation to kind of kick off the show today. We've got a huge boxing fight coming up this weekend. It's going to be Manny Pacquiao taking on Thurman. I'm, I'm looking at Thurman to win that by points. I think it's going to go the distance. I don't think either one guy is going to knock the other one out. But I do think Thurman's going to win. It'll be an amazing showing for Pacquiao. But this question really intrigues me, and it's been debated for years now. Who would win in a fight? Iron Mike Tyson... Or the greatest boxer that's ever lived, Muhammad Ali. Wow, a very intriguing question there. Uh, thanks for giving me a heads up on that one. So you're just throwing me into the deep end with it. Man, you get you get away this thing. And really, you have to look. This is each in their prime, correct? Yeah, in their prime. It, it, each how dominant they were, and how beloved, and, and change actually changed the sport in so many different ways. There. Oh, and just in how the perception of boxing was held in each of their times. You know, where in Ali's, it was the ultimate sport. You know, it was, you know, the king of sports there where Tyson came in was beginning to lose a little bit of that luster because of the promoters just really just just downright raping this thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, that's when we had all these different governing bodies are splitting titles. There was so much corruption that was coming to the surface. That's when it started to kind of lose its, its glitz and glamour there with Tyson. But that doesn't take anything away from how vicious he was. Just I mean, how just uh, just pure beast he was inside that ring. So this is going to come down really to power versus finesse, what do you say? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's crazy because one of the, the big legends of Mike Tyson that I think kind of gets lost is just how powerful he was. But the thing that made that power so vicious was the speed. I've seen just about every Muhammad Ali fight that I can find over the course of the years. And, you know, Muhammad Ali was probably the greatest defensive boxer that I've ever seen, although Floyd Mayweather absolutely runs into that category as well. But people just they seem to think that it would be Tyson's power versus Ali's speed. And I don't think that's the case. I think Tyson was just as fast, if not faster than Muhammad Ali. I go Muhammad Ali and I go Ali over strong simply because of the boxing IQ. If Tyson could get a hold of him in those first couple rounds, yeah, Tyson could absolutely put him down. 
But Tyson didn't have the stamina like Ali did. He was going out there and knocking people out in a round and a half, maybe two rounds. Hell, I remember his first fight coming out of prison went all of about 47 seconds. You know, it's a matter of if Tyson could get to Ali, yeah, he could knock him out. But if this is going to be a a straight-up boxing match, I'm going with Ali over Strong. Well, I was I was going to play into that speed as well because that's going to complement that power, and I think that's where big, you know, big Mike Tyson's going to get that advantage. And, and as great as you go back and, and you can measure the competition against Ali, I don't think he'd ever seen anybody like Mike Tyson that's going to be coming at him that fast, that strong, and that's and that's what you that's where you get that when I say power. It's not the strength; it's that impact that comes behind each one of those punches. I don't think Tyson. You know, it would it absolutely Ali would have to make this thing go. That this, I think Tyson could get him early. You, this, you know, what this really screams of this is uh, you know the big Russian versus Rocky. Yeah, very much so. And kind of the styles here. You know, and it's funny because we, we we talk about Thurman versus Pacquiao coming up this week. I was watching the uh, the promo packages, and most of the promo packages are just Thurman talking his ass off, and Manny Pacquiao just sitting there listening to it and taking it. And I was like, "Holy crap! This is this is like Mr. T versus Rocky and Rocky Three. Like that that's the way all these promo packages lead." I'll, I'll tell you who'd definitely be winning. Uh, I don't know what age this thing would be in, but you know that uh, that Don King would have his grubby, dirty hands all over this thing. Uh, he would be raking in the dough left and right from these individuals on a fight like this. Don King be making some bank. Right, I'm going to hold you down. Who are you taking? You taking Ali or you taking Tyson? I, I, I'm going with Iron Mike, baby. Wow. We're, we're different on this one, too. So similar, yet so, so, so different. Although I can tell you what, the promos would be absolutely entertaining. Uh, Huckleberry, we do have some modern-day sports. And Ali's the bigger of a scumbag trainer in this country than Tyson was. That is true. Um, we, we do have a lot of modern-day sports to talk about, but I did want to get that in there for Sir Dan. I thought that was an interesting topic. Uh, Huckleberry, I guess let, let's start off with another guy that I would love to see box because he's built like an absolute brick shit house, and that man's name is Jadavion Clowney. Jadavion Clowney and the Houston Texans failing to reach a long-term deal before 4 p.m. on Monday, the franchise tag deadline. And now things are going to get incredibly complicated down there in Houston. His franchise tag is $15.967 million. And the NFLPA and Jadavion Clowney are pissed because the actual linebacker tag is 15.443. Clowney gets an extra 500000 because he had a million-dollar signing bonus on that last contract. But here's the problem. They signed him to a franchise tag as a linebacker. He only took 33 snaps in 2019 as a linebacker. By comparison, he took 729 snaps as a defensive end. Oh, yeah, and the defensive end tag is almost $2 million richer than that of a linebacker. Rick, this is fascinating because all the time, you know, we're we're talking about is it the players or is it the owners? And, you know, the, the owners can trade players whenever they want, and yet we look down on players when they leave teams. This is so much bigger than that. This is literally a team screwing with a player's money. This is something we don't see very often. This thing's going to end up a war. Well, and it's, as you were talking about here with Clowney, I mean, it's just not just any run of the real, you know, run of the mill player. Uh, obviously, you, you got to you realize the importance if you're putting a franchise tag on him. But we're talking about one of the premier players in the league here. One, one of the leaders, the anchors of your franchise that is a, a blossoming of franchise. You know, you guys have great things in your future. If you can keep this core intact here, especially on your defense, 
I mean, this is this is a straight, you know, this is a five dollar face slap. Yeah, this is a straight up five dollar face slap. And Jadavion Clowney's big enough. I don't think I want to face slap him. This is a couple million face dollar face slap right here. Well, and and it, when people hear these numbers, I, they just sound absolutely ridiculous. Like, who cares if you're making fifteen million a year or making seventeen million a year, right? Well, let me tell you, who cares about that? Jadavion Clowney. The other thing that he cares about is the guy playing on the other side of the line from him. J.J. Watt is signed to a six-year, one hundred million dollar deal that he signed in 2016. The other guy who cares about this is Deshaun Watson, who's eligible for a contract extension at the end of this season. How much money are we really going to tie up in the defensive line if we're already paying J.J. Watt six years and $100 million? Now we got to pay Jadavion Clowney. Oh, yeah, we've got to pay our franchise quarterback, too. Somebody's going to get screwed, and it sure as hell is looking like it's going to be Jadavion Clowney. Well, at that point with Clowney, you know, it's uh, well. Let me pack bags and I'll head out. I'll head out of Texas, and that, that's probably what we're going to get here at some point. You know, he might have to abide by this thing here. Well, the question um, is, does it happen before this season starts? Because now it's sounding like Clowney's just threatening to pull a Le'Veon Bell and not even play next year. At that point, I mean, if if you're looking to you know to seriously play hardball here, and you're seeing everyone else, these other big players, and you're right up there amongst them on your own team, they're getting their paydays, and you're not. I mean, this is where you kind of you draw that line in the sand and he's going to take a lot of heat as a player because, again, people, you know, just the general perception always oh, turning. He's already a multimillionaire. People need to remove that from it, as you said, Jarger. take that out. Take that out of the conversation. You know, if you know the run of the mill, if you're at your job and you're looking forward to a nice bonus, they're going to kick you up to thirty dollars an hour. But no, they repos- they, they retag your position and you're going from 25 to 27. You're going to be absolutely damn furious about that three dollars because it's, I mean, that affects your life and your lifestyle and your family going forward. You have to remove that there. They're on a different level. I understand that. But fans have a hard time seeing that. And, it, and it's because you know fans admire the league so much because for them, it's a, it's a great passion. You know, they, so many said they would gladly go out there and play for free. That's just idiotic. If there's so much money on the table there. That's why you have this conversation in college. Are these student athletes, if you are student athletes, are they getting are they getting robbed? You know, all the millions, billions that are being made by these universities off of these students. These guys just want their cut of the cake. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's kind of focus on Deshaun Watson here. Of course, the, the franchise quarterback for the Houston Texans. Rick, he's eligible for an extension after this season. We saw one guy already get extended this year, and that's Carson Wentz. We didn't even have a chance to talk about his contract a couple of weeks ago when he signed it. $128 million extension over the course of four years. Where where do you kind of rank these guys? When you look at Carson Wentz, when you look at Deshaun Watson – which one would you rather have on your team? And which one do you think has a higher ceiling kind of looking forward five years from now? Well, I mean, good question. I, let me say just overall, I think it gets really tricky when we're looking at these quarterbacks. And, and it seems, you know, as long as you can find someone that can function within a system, I'm wondering if almost the trend is, I mean, because you see these top paid quarterbacks in each league and where are the teams finishing? You know, they're barely making playoffs at best or they're missing out because they're, the demand is so high that they cannot, you know, they're eating up so much of the cap space. You cannot fulfill everything around them. What was it last year? We had the number. I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was either six or eight. The top six paid quarterbacks or the top eight paid quarterbacks in the league missed the playoffs last year. 
I think it was a six. I think, outside it was of that, six. Yeah, I think it was six. So, yeah, because you're overpaying in there. You can't fill in those gaps around them. I'm just kind of questioning is we're talking here, you know, just looking at, for example, Watson and, and Wentz that are still so young in here. And before they get those big paydays, will we see these teams just start going to a formula where we're just going to go to rookie contracts on quarterbacks? I, you almost got to wonder that, right? I mean, and, and people talk about the Patriots all the time and how in the hell do the Patriots do what they do? It's because Tom Brady's not doing this. Tom Brady's not playing this game. Tom Brady's taking 15 to $17 million a year so that you can afford to pay a couple of wide receivers. Go ahead and pay my offensive line. Give us some help on the defensive side of the ball. As long as we're winning, I'm making more money. And for some reason, these younger quarterbacks can't seem to get their heads around that. Well, it, it also helps that Tom Brady's not even the breadwinner in his household. Absolutely. That <laughs> certainly plays into he, it. He could take he could take those pay cuts for those others, you know, you know, they've got, you know, just Sally down the street as their wife. They're trying to set up and protect their families. They want those big paydays. And and you don't know how long you're gonna have an opportunity to play in this league. It's a it's a short shelf life. So you've got to get paid when you can to set up, you know, set up your family and all that. Uh, just to answer your question, though, I think I would go more with with Wentz. I, I still think he's more durable into into the game. I like well, the we arm say strength. that you say that, and Wentz hasn't played a healthy season yet. That's my thing too. I, like I, I, talent level, I think Wentz clearly, but Deshaun Watson can stay on the damn field. We had the whole well, uh, Nick we haven't Foles seen it that thing. long though. I, you know, I'm really interested. I, I get that there, but I think when we're looking at big wins and you surround them in a right system here, that if what I'm building here, I'd rather have a stable quarterback there. And we don't really know what Watson's going to do here with his style. It's still so early to tell in his career. Well, the other guy that I think we have to talk about, if we're talking about quarterbacks wanting their money, is in the NFC East, and his name is Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott. Right, we got Big trouble in Texas right now. Dak Prescott saw Carson Wentz get paid $128 million over four years. Dak Prescott wants his money. It's the final year of his rookie deal. And then Amari Cooper, his deal's up at the end of the year. And now Ezekiel Elliott, who still has two years left on his $24 million four-year deal, is threatening to hold out if he doesn't get his money now. We've got the same situations that we're seeing there with the Texans that's happening there in Big D with the Cowboys. And it was all this, you know, seemingly success that they had last year. What was it? Their first playoff win in, in how many years? I mean, at least half a decade or so. Yeah, it's been a while. And, you know, for them to go get that first big, you know, to get that win there, uh, the league is riding high on and the media rides high on them just a little bit because of the market, who they are, because of the star. And now all of these guys, they, they know that there's only going to be so much to go around and, and they want those paydays, you know, especially with Dak. I mean, he, he's become that face of that franchise there. He wants to represent it. He wants his cut and he wants to take care of that before, you know, whatever unfolds this year. Same thing with Zeke. We talk about the life of a running back. I mean, it, it could be week one, week two. He's done. And he wouldn't have had this opportunity to make this money that he sees going to be available, potentially available for these other teammates and their big three on their offense. Well, the last running back that we saw pull this and, and get an absolute monster contract was Todd Gurley. Where was Todd Gurley come the NFC Championship game last year? Where was Todd Gurley come the Super Bowl last year? He's sitting on the sidelines riding a bike. And, and that's where you'd be, 
you know, you want to see these players that, you know, are making these commitments. They, they have had the success. You, you want to root for them. You want to see them achieve, you know, financial success here in the league. But you got to understand, too, I mean, what's the ROI from the from these owners here? This, they you continually, you know, you look throughout the league and you're seeing other franchises get burned for these deals. I mean, but what's I mean, what's the pressure? I mean, I don't really believe at this point with Jones that he's going to overly buckle anywhere on here. If he needs, feels that he needs to move on, he'll try to move on. I think he's going to end up paying Dak, although I'm not sure that that's necessarily the right option. We talked a lot last year when we started this show and we were you know, right in the heart of football season. And we started noticing this trend that when Ezekiel Elliott went for 100 yards, the Cowboys won. When Ezekiel Elliott didn't play or didn't go for 100 yards, Zeke or not Zeke, Dak was awful. And he needs that escape hatch. The problem is it's it's plug and play down there in Dallas. You know, everybody wants to talk about how great Ezekiel Elliott is. And I agree. I think he's one of the best running backs in the league. But I also thought DeMarco Murray was one of the best running backs in the league when he was playing in Dallas. It's it's not the running back. It's that offensive line. And if you start paying Amari Cooper, you start paying Ezekiel Elliott, you pay Dak Prescott, you know what's going to suffer that offensive line. It's just not going to work. We we kind of said jokingly about six months ago that Ezekiel Elliott was going to be a Raider as soon as they moved to Vegas because we knew they were going to have to pay Dak Prescott. Well, it seems like this move could even happen sooner than that because I when I look at these guys, I would pay Zeke before I would pay Dak, but that's not what's going to happen. They'll just find another running back and plug into that system who doesn't have 1,800 carries over the course of his college and NFL career, who still got his bump card basically full, and just let him run behind those big, massive offensive linemen, and they're going to pay Zeke or, or Dak. Damn it. I keep getting them confused. Yeah. Too many stupid nicknames. They're going to pay Dak, and it's not going to work. This is going to be the downfall of the Cowboys. Right now, we're, we're seeing the beginning of the end when it comes to this. You can't even call it a dynasty because they haven't won anything yet. But this young core of this team, it's going to get blown up just because of everybody's greed. Yeah, so I mean, we can't really say it was a dynasty. They, they just had, they were showing promise in what, and I know we saw, you know, the Eagles come out as champions there, but it was just a disaster of a division or a conference as well. Yeah, yeah, that you know, their division there in the East, but so there wasn't anything really that impressive. It, 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 all this time, people have been talking about this. You know, how is this going to add up? And then when you added in Cooper last year, it's like, how are they going to spend here? And Dallas has always been about those big stars. Even when you go back to what their true dynasty was, it was that big three. It was Aikman, it was Smith, and it was Irvin. But even those three, they'll all admit none of that would have been possible without that front line. And that was the hospital that you had in Dallas that drove that drove that team to success. I think Dallas really has to go back to those roots. You know, find find some plug-in players that your offensive line is going to make shine, and then you're going to find success. I don't really think you have to overpay. And again, I mean, could Dallas be one of these teams? I don't think they will because with the Jones, you know, they like to have those those big name contract players and all that. They're going to definitely overpay a quarterback. But this almost perfectly seems like a situation where you let this thing ride and go back to another rookie quarterback. There's no way I would pay Dak Prescott. I mean, I, I would pay Dak Prescott 15 to $17 million in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I wouldn't even, when it came down, if I'm building teams, you know, if we're drafting here, I wouldn't even put him in the top, you know, half echelon of quarterbacks inside this league to go with a franchise. I don't think he fits in the top two thirds. 
You know, and when we talk about game managers, and he is a game manager to an absolute T. Yeah, he can play. He, he can go in there and he can do his job and he can do it well as long as he has a lot of really good talent around him. I'd pay him $15 million a year. There ain't no chance in hell I'm paying him 32 35 uh, I'm with you. So let's, uh, let's talk about some more Philly money. God, they got money just coming out of their freaking ears in Philadelphia all of a sudden. I, I, evidently, I need to move to Philadelphia. Another guy got his money in Philly. His name is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons inks a new deal in Philly now that Jimmy Butler is gone the hell out of there. We can uh, afford to pay Ben Simmons five years, $170 million. That's a max contract, ladies and gentlemen. Simmons and Embiid, their contracts are now synced up through 2022-2023 before options start kicking in. The way that the Sixers starting lineup is looking right now, Huckleberry, I like this and I like this a lot. At center, they've got Joel Embiid, power forward Al Horford, small forward Tobias Harris, shooting guard Josh Richardson, and a point guard Ben Simmons. That's a really, really solid starting lineup, man. When, when I look at the Eastern Conference right now, I know everybody's super, super high on Milwaukee, but Milwaukee couldn't get it done last year. Giannis was exposed, and Philly's got the size to match up with them. Are the Sixers the favorites in the East? Well, you got to look, too. You know, Philadelphia, where they were last year, was a buzzer beater away from beating the, the world champions, from beating yep. the NBA champions the craziest buzzer beater in the history of basketball. Yeah, I mean, they were right there, and they were that close. And they have to kind of regroup like this. And now let's see that they've got this, this core. And you're talking about the, the surrounding cast, which is absolutely incredible. What really jumps out to me, though, is to have this core, these two locked up on these deals, synced up where there's nothing that can be disputed between the two of them, and it, for how long that they've got this thing. Yeah. You know, so they've got, they've got this thing together for a couple of years. And now they can even plan, you know, when it comes to filling in the, the pieces to the puzzle around them, even going forward, they know exactly what they have to do. They have set themselves up perfectly, just not for a run next year, but for years to come. So now the question is, do we actually trust the process? Because for years, we, Philly was awful. They were awful for years in the post-Iverson era, and they just kept saying, trust the process, trust the process, and they're bringing in these draft picks, and we're getting all this young talent, we're assembling this team. The problem was it was taking so long that some players were leaving by the time the first contract was up, and then they'd be bringing in the third or fourth guy inside of the process. Huckleberry, this looks like a solid starting lineup to me. Everybody said that they blew up the process when they brought in Jimmy Butler, and the process was dead i don't know man i really really like the makeup of this team if they can keep it together especially adding al horford to it i think that's a key addition for the sixers well let's let's really look at what, what the you know with the process and the timing of when they implemented that and what happened in the league it's not that it blew up and it failed they had to evolve the process because what happened when they you know it was they're looking at when you lose Iverson and how the league was structured there. And then you have these super teams that come into play, which completely changes the dynamic of what every franchise is doing. It changes the your entire you know strategy going into each offseason. So they had to make that adjustment. They had to evolve that. And now we've gotten to this point. So if you're a Philly fan. I think you got to be very excited about what they've done. And like I said, just not for next year, for years to come. Yeah. Especially especially that you look at how the East is set up there yeah. and how the style of play is there. Well, and 
you know, we, we talked about the, the possibility of Russell Westbrook ending up in Miami and what that would do to the complexion of the East. Instead, he ends up in Houston. You know, we, we talked about the Chris Paul contract. We, we, we talked about the um, CP3 contract and how they were two of the worst contracts in the league. We never even considered that they would actually just get flipped for one another. And now we're kind of hearing that the plan in Oklahoma City is to try to move Chris Paul out and just accumulate more draft picks. It's like they're trying to become Philly West right now. I'm not sure where in the world Chris Paul would even fall inside of the league right now, especially with that contract. It's it's just not a good contract. I don't even think OKC is going to be able to move him. I don't think that there's any kind of a demand for Chris Paul right now. It's going to be fascinating to see how the East shakes out because there's just nobody that really stands out. It's going to be Boston and Brooklyn and Philly and Milwaukee and Toronto all just kind of battling for mediocrity in the East, it feels like. Well, I think, you know, going back to what we even talked about, how OKC was going to move Durant, you know, we didn't consider just flopping those two contracts, but, you know, now they almost got themselves in the same situation. I don't think you're really going to be able to move uh, to move Paul until it's a mid season. And hopefully that there is someone out there that desperately needs him, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to package in some of these draft picks and all that with him for them to take on a contract like that and eat up some of that salary. Who would have thought a couple of years ago that you would have to pay somebody to take Chris Paul? You know, it, it just seems baffling to me. Well, I mean, just years ago, there was a, an entire almost shut down the league because yeah. it was you know, an uproar of who wanted it. Everybody was fighting for him. And it, they thought it was uh, some kind of collusion going on. It's when but David he, Stern bent the Lakers over and gave it to him straight yeah. up the ass. And now now we're having the conversation of who would even welcome him in. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, to wrap things up this week, Huckleberry, let's talk a little bit of baseball. We've got a post-All-Star game pre-trade deadline update. Um, I actually wrote this on Monday night, so these numbers might be just a hair off, but not very damn far. The way the American League looks right now, you got the Yankees on top, the Twins one game behind, Astros a game and a half back, Tampa Bay five games back, your Indians at seven, and the A's at seven. Uh, and then we kind of have Boston just on the outside looking in. Huckleberry, there's there's going to be a whole lot of madness and trading and just general confusion going on in baseball between now and the end of the month. The trade deadline, I believe, is the 30th at 4 p.m. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what teams are buyers and sellers here. But one of the big names I keep seeing thrown around is Trevor Bauer from Cleveland and that he is going to be on the trade block and that, you know, a team like the Yankees or the Twins, maybe the Dodgers or the Braves are going to go out here and get Trevor Bauer. Is Cleveland really selling already? Uh, I think, you know, there is, uh, as we're broadcasting here, I am uh, in Cleveland. I know last time we were on for the show, I was in Cincinnati, but uh, I am here in Cleveland, and, and I was talking to some individuals, and that was the big buzz around All-Star Weekend. You know, what, what teams were talking about, the fans here are, you know, they're worried, very worried that they lose one of the lose one of their great stars. And how, if it's going to set this team back again, ever since a couple of years ago when they made that tremendous uh, run in the regular season, you know, ripping off, what, 25, 26, 27 games, uh, your damned Yankees knocked them out of the playoffs. It's been kind of a regression since then. Uh, and they were on a lot of on low end deals. And, you know, they didn't want to really start paying again. And, and the fans are worried that that's kind of the movement that they're going towards. But, you know, just looking at the AL, and I know we're going to pop over to the NL here in a minute, which I'm a little bit more excited about because it's so much more hotly contested over there. But again, you know, you, you've got 
you got a handful of teams here. They're going. You always got that middle of the pack. You know, you got the you know the White Sox. Eh, Fifteen out. They're going to be selling there. But Cleveland at five, only five out in the division. You know, what's Boston? What kind of moves are they going to make? Those are going to be their big questions. If you're going to move someone like Bauer, then you're going to have to bring in, you know, two, three, four players of quality, of quality caliber. Well, I think what it is is rather than looking at divisions, I'm kind of looking at the league and, and kind of trying to gauge how things are going to work out here, right? So you got the Yankees and Twins clearly at the top of the American League. You got the Astros in there, and then you start getting into that second tier, right? You've got Tampa Bay, who's five games back, and then you got the Indians at seven games back. Well, as, as at current standing, you got Tampa at six, and the Indians are at five. Okay. So I, I guess I look at it a little different than you. I'm not looking at this overall league, especially this early. You know, we're right, you know, just in the middle of July. I'm, I'm not I'm looking at wild card already, I, man. I'm not looking at that wild card. I'm only five games out in my division. I've got a handful of games still with the Twins. They're going to be so important to it. I want that. I want my league championship. I don't want to go into a wild card thing. I want to be hosting. I, I want to be playing in a longer series. That's what I'm eyeing right now as a, as a franchise. So if they move Bauer. Where does that leave Cleveland? Is that just the end of your guys' season if they end up moving Bauer? At that point, that's what I said. You're going to have to get a lot in return. You're not done here. You're not lost out of the water. Yeah, and just I don't understand why they'd be selling right now. Well, we don't know. You, you keep hearing that those are the ultimate enticers when you put out a big name like that for any team to see what kind of what are you going to, what are they going to be what are they attracting? You know, what kind of bait is it pulling in? You know, they might not be sitting serious on any of these moves. They're just kind of interested to see what other teams are, what kind of, you throw that out there sometimes early as you're one of those teams that are on the cusp of going either way. So you kind of show your hand first a little bit and then see what else is around the table. The other one that I find interesting is those hated Boston Red Sox. They're just on the outside of this thing looking in, Rick, and I think a lot of people are expecting Boston to make some kind of a move here. I'm expecting Boston to be sellers this year. I don't expect Boston to be making any kind of moves unless they're sending players somewhere else. When you've got the Rays in front of you and the Yankees in front of you, I mean, they're looking at third place in the division. I think I'd go ahead and sell and accumulate as many properties as I possibly can right now. I, I don't think the Red Sox are going to be any kind of a well, threat. At currently sitting 10 games out and you're chasing how hot the Yankees are this year, this would change my dynamic a little bit as if, as if I was said, you know, previously said, I'm Cleveland. I'm looking at my division. I'm not that far out. I've got these handfuls of game, handful of games there. But with with Boston, you're 10 games out of the East. But when you do look at that wild card, you're only three games out. Yeah, but with, with Tampa and the Yankees, like three teams from the East ain't making it. I think why it happened. It happened before three, three teams from the NL central made it last year. Three teams from the American league East are not going to make the playoffs. I think they've done it before. I know they have, but Boston's not making the playoffs. Not this year. Suck on it. Uh, Let's talk about the national league. The Dodgers just basically running away with this thing. And then we have everybody else. We've got the Braves at four and a half back. And then the giant cluster that is the Nationals, the Cubs, both at 12 games back. Cardinals at 14 and Phillies at 14. And then the Brewers on the outside. Like I said, my numbers are a couple days old. Ricky got updated ones there. 
Well, I say, you know, it's it's not too bad. There is, as you said, obviously the, the odds on favorite there in the National League, the Dodgers at 63-34. They're sitting with the highest winning percentage of 649. Uh, but Atlanta's got 58, 58 wins there. I mean, I mean, it's still that's a that's a sizable gap in baseball, but still very achievable. What really interests me here in the NL and what I was talking about, it, it's so competitive here. Dude, uh, Central's crazy. Well, I was reading a stat. The only team in in the National League that's on pace to for 90 losses is Miami. So everyone else is kind of within that striking distance there. You look at the Central, we're talking about competitiveness. I don't it doesn't necessarily translate into great baseball, but it is very competitive. You got the Cubs sitting at the top. At the very bottom is my beloved Cincinnati Reds, and they're only six and a half games out. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, when I look at the Central, that's the the division that's really got me intrigued. I mean, you've got the Cubs there, you've got the Cardinals there, and the Brewers are right on the outside of this thing looking in. That Central division could flip but all but upside down between now and October. The other one that I find interesting is in the East with the Phillies and the Nationals. That one just cracks me up because, of course, of the Bryce Harper connection. How much better off are the Phillies than the Nationals picking up, you know, the Nationals' best player, arguably the best player in baseball, and nothing. I mean, that entire thing. What is that, a 10-year contract? You you suppose Phillies got buyer's remorse on that deal? Well, I think it's that was kind of who I had listed here is going to be really interesting you know, outside of how we said how how competitive the central is, who's going to be the movers? Who's going to be able? Because they all got to be looking at making moves there. Oh, they. So who's going to be able to make that big move? Can Philly even make any moves? That's the question with what they're no, paying I, Harper. No, what, but outside, of, I think that's going to be interesting here. Are they going to hold? Are they going to fold? You know, are can they make a move in Philadelphia? And again, is what's Washington? Are are they going to hold? Are they are they believe are they strong enough to continue on with what they got to move into the postseason here? It's going to be fascinating. It's the National League, especially right now, I find incredibly intriguing. And then in the American League, there's the Twins. I, as a Yankees fan, yeah, I'm I'm happy that we're in first place and everything. But I'm I'm watching this Twins team because they're about the closest thing that I have to a local market here. I'm as far away from Minneapolis as I am from Chicago. A lot of Twins fans, and even the Twins fans are like, "What the hell's going on?" Like, nobody saw this coming from the Minnesota Twins, and people are starting to actually believe in the Minnesota Twins. I'm not. I'm still waiting for them to fall apart. I'm anticipating that the Twins just absolutely fall apart come August. But who saw this run coming from the Minnesota Twins? I told you. I told you. You got to buy into this every couple of years with the Twins. It's in It's in their program. It's how they're built. You know, it's it sucks, 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 and then let's go. Let's go. We're going to perk up. We're going to... We're going to go at this thing. I'll tell you what I was talking about the Marlins in that division being the only team with the, on the pace to lose 90. If you look at the wild card race inside the National League, the Marlins are at the very bottom. They're 12 and a half out. Obviously, you take out whoever's leading the divisions right now. That bottom team, just the one just above the Marlins, the, the New York Mets, they're only five and a half games out of a wild card. And we all know how bad the Mets have been. Like, right. historically bad. Yeah, so the Mets are the Mets still, are, you know, obviously sitting here in the middle of July are within an opportunity. You know, something could fall their way if they could hit a hot streak somehow. Could you imagine but, if if it ended up with the Mets and the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs? What chance would you give the Mets of winning that series? Thirty percent. 
Oh, wow. You, you go all the way up to 30? I'm going to give them a well, 2%. because they're there. They're there, you know. I have to look at the overall standings for the – But on the post that, what I was saying, though, you got one, two, three, four, five, six teams in the AL that are over 10 games out of the wild card alone. I mean, look at – that's the big difference in the competitiveness of these two leagues right now. Yeah, that's absolutely it, – it's, it's the West and the East in the NBA, you know? We don't really see that in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's it's across the board in the NFL. You know, the competitiveness in each of the divisions, and they kind of each have their own little personalities when you get to the conferences. Didn't talk a lot of NFL this week. How's Cleveland feeling? Cleveland getting all excited? Ready for the NFL season? We didn't talk a lot of NFL. The whole first half of the show was NFL. Well, yeah, but it was two teams. Uh, right now, you know, everybody – everybody's kind of just coming off of that, that hangover from the all-star game. It was a tremendous event up here. They, they put on an incredible showing uh, great time all around. So people are just kind of getting readjusted here and probably going to switch, switch gears back. You know, the Browns are going to have their spot, but as always, it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamic and the difference between the support for the Browns. And obviously that's going to be there, uh, but is it going to come anywhere close to the, you know, the annual in and out, of, of Buckeye football. It's going to be fascinating to watch. The Cleveland Browns are the most interesting team in football. I'm not sure they're the best team in football. Not sure they're the worst team in football, but they are certainly the most interesting. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find Huckleberry and I this Friday, hittingthemarks.com for an all new edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. Boy, do we got some stuff to talk about this week. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Oh, baby, come uh, come this weekend with the Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am I am ready to talk to pro wrestling. Fired up about you know some of the events that we've seen unfold over this week, especially the people that are being blinded by what's going on with WWE. Give me a break. I mean, last Monday and Tuesday, the last two days of the program have been absolutely atrocious. I can't believe people are finding any way to remain excited for this thing as we head into SummerSlam, but we'll talk about it then. We've got a lot of Ring of Honor to cover. You know, our our little home base, if you will, where everyone kind of gets on us for being homers. But definitely looking forward to recording this weekend. But until then, keep up with Rick Vickery across all social media platforms at the Real RBV. Oh yeah, and if you haven't heard, the G1 Climax is going on. Will Ospreay has been cleared, and tomorrow morning, it's going to be Kota freaking Abushi versus Will Ospreay, one-on-one G1 Climax after what happened at Wrestle Kingdom. I am looking forward to it. We'll talk to you Friday on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast for now. We're off like a prom dress. See ya!